Hello everyone, welcome to the second of uh, Anti-Stigma Summer Sessions special podcast, which we are chatting to author Spencer Mason about his book Other Tongues, and he's also reading some extracts from that. Um, If you have missed the first part, then you can check that out still, that's still up and was a really, really interesting chat with Spencer. Um, We've got the second part coming up. Uh, just in a couple of minutes but as always just chat a little bit i am joined by co-host d with her own jingle co-host d co-host d co-host d brings the fun to see me podcast (gasps) wow that was brilliant just off off the top of my head there he has, and then that voice of awe and amazement we hear is Maeve, or Amaving, as we call her. Thank you. Hello. Most welcome. <laughs> and the person who, in between chatting in podcasts, dances, which is a real nice sort of, nice thing to bring to the podcast, I enjoy that, yeah. we have the architect, Lynn. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Did you know that the word architect is actually a legally protected term? So I can't, I have not completed a seven-year architecture degree, just for all those who are. Do you have to come? Is this like going to be when, you know, like when Graham brought fun facts to the podcast and we had a fact corner? <laughs> we should bring we that We should back. bring that back. Oh. Yeah, that was a good addition. Hmm. That was a, that's a fun facts fact. To put right now. And, and Lynn, you are... I wanted oh, to say, on. do you have to come from the architecture region of France? But I couldn't get it out. Quite clear enough. Oh, that's like, that would have been. It's a good, a good joke. joke. So I just wanted joke. to tell you about it. Kind of, yeah. It's just. <laughs> it's funny. For it's it. funny how jokes turn into just sad statements. They're funnier so, when you have so to explain quickly. them. Yeah, mm. I've always done that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was good. And the architect you are, Lynn, is one of the two architects <laughs> of the anti-stigma summer sessions. And they've been going great so far. We've had a couple of events already. We had In Motion. Um, we have also been having the chat with Spencer. Um, and Lynn, how have you found they've gone? Um, what is it you're trying to mouth at me that I can't understand? <laughs> Maybe just what would you like to say? Um, I think we've also had some workshops, Nick, which have gone really well as well. It was workshops. <laughs> Sorry. Um, there is a chat I see. function no, here, I, didn't. I just decided to mouth it. Um, how have things been going? Was that the question? <laughs> the que- It might have been the question. Like, but what, or we could ask you a different one. Like, I guess something actually that I did want to ask you was around the event that we've had with Spencer and how good has it been to see other people it was like loads of the stuff as Maeve said last time mm. came from our volunteers but how good is it to actually then have people externally coming and wanting to get involved and be part of the summer sessions and helping to tackle well stigma? we love fresh faces don't we hey um well yeah of course i mean friendly familiar faces are brilliant but new faces are great too and as we always say if we just kept the social movement within people we knew then it wouldn't be a social movement. Well, nobody really says that, but it could be a thing that we have on rulers. <laughs> Stop being embarrassed on behalf of me. I, I, that's the key message we have, Nick. I've been on brand. It's everything it just is making is. me laugh from so, this podcast. Basically, yeah, it's, just, it's, not, it's really if, hysterical. If you really only do, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. So, by reaching out to new people, we are reaching new audiences. Um, so that's exciting. And yeah, working with new, with new people, really interesting. People that, I think what really struck me was them when, because you know me and you read Spencer's book. Um, well, when I was reading the bit about stigma, it was basically uh, like, see me's me- messages right through it. And I was like, whoa, these other people are saying stuff. And it felt felt very validating that other people really care about this, that really want stigma to stop, that care so passionately, they've experienced firsthand and are doing it in their own ways. So yeah, it's great to bring in other people and, and help have them join our movement and share out in their own ways. So as well, he's his own um, band and other music scene and charity down in London and is studying. It just helps us reach, I mean, 
someone in their young 20s, a man, is reaching that audience in a way maybe that we wouldn't have perhaps done before. When people are doing, whether it's pre-prepared things about mental health, and I find that with our volunteers, if we are talking about films or whatever, and a lot of our summer sessions have come about because when they speak just offhand, off the cuff about their experiences, about what they're going through, about why they care, that's the stuff that's amazing that we can capture on these online platforms. And that's where a lot of this came about. We wanted to record that and share that because, I mean, we know why people care about what they do, or I, I'm actually still finding that out, but it's a way that we can capture and share that with people and hopefully ignite their fire to want to make a better world. Yeah, when we did the, when we've done previous events before and we did a few mental health awareness week, the amount of people getting involved in the chat underneath and engaging was brilliant. And the why should people, when we've got all these events on and a lot of them are streaming on Facebook Live, why should people get involved in the chat? Because I'm doing it. No, uh, that's a really, <laughs> that was a really broad question. Um, I think from what we saw from Mental Health Awareness Week, just the opportunities that come about from people like Lynn said just connecting over those conversations online and the supportive kind of element to it as well was really really cool to see um and also you know it's not just one of those things where we're just like oh yeah here's a chat like get involved if you want to like we try and facilitate those discussions as much as possible and share some of our resources to kind of help people if they want to start engaging and do that as well and as you know as we saw with Spencer with Tina it was a great you know it was inspiring for him and encouraged him to you know share his story so hopefully that there'll be lots of other inspiring chats from other people and also because I'm moderating but no um yeah and wonderfully too uh, Maeve, before we go into the second part of our chat with Spencer, um, if you can stop the giggles for as long as you possibly can, uh, where, how can people get involved in the summer sessions? Where can they find out more? So if you go to visit, see me. <laughs> no, can't do it. Guys, I, everybody's been very heroic with all everything that you've heard because we're on Zoom and I got the giggles and I, everybody had to just watch me giggling for everything that they've just said so now I'm finding it quite hard to speak but until you just turned around and just basically faced the wall yeah I I got confused I thought you were maybe crying and you were just looking forlornly out of the window <laughs> no, and then just... I realized that I read the chat and realized that you were laughing I don't know why it's been a long day um people visit the see me website right that's where that's true. That's where they can that find out true. the information, isn't it? We have a website. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's great. Honestly, the things that you'll find on there, workplaces, health and social care, education settings, communities, it's good stuff. I mean, not actually those things, just in case people you know, actually find your workplace on there, but yeah. Um, Thank you, Maeve. That was very informative. I don't think we could ask any more of you. <laughs> So yeah, so there is information on the uh, on the stigma sessions. On I our cannot website, wait to listen to that. Which yeah. is uh, www. There's a banner on our homepage there, which has all of the upcoming <coughs> events and information. And if it does sound of interest to you and you are excited, then you can also get involved. If you think that you might have an idea for an event that could link in with the summer sessions, then. Let us know. There's contact information on the website as well. So here we have the second part of our chat with Spencer. I just got to jump right into this one. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, uh, no one in this world has lived without some kind of trauma occurring in their life. That is the most tragic state of our world, but more tragically is that most of us want to forget that. Or more directly, most of us forget that we can be traumatised. We live in a world where political correctness has never been more spoken of, but juxtaposed with extreme opposition to this. For every feminist, there are 10 anti-feminists trolling through Twitter. For every mental health advocate, there are still 30 people referring to the loony bin. Words burn. For every comedian that can make us laugh without verbally abusing anyone, there are hundreds that resort to jokes of racism and rape. If you can't make jokes without aiming at someone, you're not funny. A digression to this is I think as a society, we need to be far more vigilant in our efforts to be aware. We need to label more clearly things that could seriously distress a person going through a battle with trauma and recovery. A person recovering from anorexia might be triggered by a TV show that uses fat jokes as its reoccurring punchline, 
or the exposure we have to Photoshop models' bodies, expectations that no one can achieve, hence the Photoshop. And I don't want to see Brad on Twitter talking about how skits his ex was for shouting at him, even though he cheated on her. And I don't enjoy almost every movie villain being referred to in some sort of way as mentally ill. There's a notion that being hurt by something makes you a delicate snowflake. That if you're offended by something, your opinion is tainted and invalid. We need to become, in that case, the delicate blizzard. Instead of people negating their feelings in a world of repression and toxic masculinity, we need to express them. Express that being hurt comes from somewhere. If your words have hurt someone, you're the problem, not the person who's been hurt. That's just a classic example of victim blaming. The world as a whole must improve. We have more information and research on mental health and social injustice than ever before. So people need to read that information. We need to care about our fellow humans and not ridicule them for being justifiably upset. It wouldn't be censoring if it was just a show of empathy. We need to be more aware. Sadly, however, awareness doesn't sell. Um, yeah, and then that, sorry, that continues. <laughs> As soon as I start talking politically, I just, um, my band will tell you I don't know when to shut up. <laughs> um, so is joking about suicide a coping mechanism or disrespectful? In the modern age, jokes involving suicide or mental health have become frequent, particularly within mental health communities. There used to be a theory that behind every dark joke was a blatant truth, a cry for help perhaps. I would argue that now, however, this has become confused with the desensitization of mental health, self-harm and suicide. Within minutes of use of social media, we can see the signs that mental health has become a bit of a meme, perhaps even a trend, and that the language involved has become incredibly misused. People often describe themselves as a bit OCD or God, I'm so bipolar, or perhaps go as far as to tweet, I've got work in an hour, maybe I'll just kill myself. Not only are these jokes inaccurate, they become degrading generalizations. And whilst I'm not negating these jokes come from somewhere, and very likely they do give glimpses that need to be addressed, maybe we've become too lenient with our language and humor and in how we approach discussions of suicide. We need to remember these words hold incredibly serious issues and perhaps shouldn't be used so frivolously. Each joke, especially when broadcast as publicly as on social media, could be a potential trigger for any other user. I'm a firm believer that we have a responsibility to the other people that we share our words with, a responsibility to not take risks on hurting or upsetting someone for the sake of humour. And while the line, it was just a joke, might seem an easy and somewhat justifiable excuse, jokes have always been in the name of causing laughter, not distress. Language is not menial. This cannot be denied. Being wary is a shared responsibility that we never rub salt in someone's unnoticed wounds. The lack of personality in social media has pushed us to forget our sense of humanity, with everyone only displaying the highlights reel of their lives and scrolling past words that have lost all meaning. It's easy to see how we can forget the other eyes reading the screens on the flip side. This is worsened still by how quickly things are able to trend on social media. One share of a joke can lead to a thousand, and the original perpetrator becomes faceless to their audience so that only the joke exists, and no human face is registered with it. This makes it easier to make these jokes since we can hide behind screens and IP addresses, not thinking about the fact other humans will register these words in some ways. Any human can see anything online and be affected by it in any way. We are human. Let us please remember we have humanity and it is precious. We need to remember the loosening of our own vocabulary when we're in bad ways. It's easy to slip into making these jokes ourselves. I know I've done it. To forget that these words may burn those who care for us. They hear none of the fake laughter, only the desperation and intent behind each syllable. This humour can haunt someone, so be wary. Thank you. Thanks again for that. That was really, really good. And it really made me think as well, when you, you touched on, on the first part of the reading there on people getting called snowflakes and political correctness and people and justifications of things being a joke when it's almost like oh, I was a joke so don't challenge me on that and I always find that really interesting because see me as an organization um, has a role to challenge use of language and what people say and the way people do and it always has me thinking that quite often when someone puts something out there that's discriminatory and then they get challenged on it you might see them say things like it's a joke or it's free speech or I'm just expressing my opinion and you can't shut that down but that's almost it's kind of well that is if that is your justification 
but then challenging that is also free speech and putting an like I think quite often when things like that are put out at least when I've seen it people then sort of invalidate the challenge of it and might call someone a snowflake or something whereas they're just doing the same thing you've put something out there that's challenging because you think it's funny or because Mm -hmm. um you might be a dickhead or whatever it might be um (laughs) challenging that again then that's then part of what i guess like free speech and using political correctness is it's about Mm -hmm. challenging negative ideals and making and as you said in there like jokes are supposed to make people laugh they're not supposed to make people feel rubbish basically um and yeah i think it's it is something again that everyone is hopefully learning more of the more mental health is spoken about the more prevalent it is and there's helpful some portrayals of it within the media as well we have um for anyone who is watching if you're interested on our website in the press center we've got kind of tips and advice on how to speak about mental health if you are doing anything publicly or if you just want to know a little bit more and it it really varies from things that kind of be obviously offensive to just little things that people don't know like the term committed suicide we never use that as an organization and generally it's seen as a, a term that you don't use because it links back to when committing suicide was a crime that you commit it is not a crime but just the use of that language that links it to the to a sort of criminal behavior then just reinforces the the kind of the stigma and the discrimination around that as well and and yeah yeah so that's up on there if you want to check that out and one of the the areas as well where language can have a huge impact on making people feel comfortable is in workplaces and that's an area um where obviously we can speak about your experiences but one where in work it's one of the main three areas where CME has its focus along with education and young people and health and social care it's an area where everyone naturally is kind of competitive because you want to do your best and you want to try hard and you want people to kind of look favorably at you for your job because you to do well at it and then so if you're worried that someone's going to judge you because of your mental health or you hear them using negative language around mental health can then it's just another area which can then make it so much harder to actually to feel comfortable Um, and yeah and obviously we've got the next reading is around some of your experiences around work and employment and unemployment and for yourself to kind of lead into that has that do you think that is quite a challenging area um if you've struggled with your mental health yeah yeah i think it is a hundred percent there's you know i I think there's two sides of it in in that there's there's the actual kind of work side of it where we uh, where there, there is absolutely still discrimination against people with mental health and i don't necessarily you know there there are laws now that that protect protect that (laughs) that stigmatization or discrimination against it but i don't think it does actually stop discrimination i think it just changes the vocabulary of it so now it's not we're not hiring you because of this condition it's we've looked into something and you're no longer eligible for the role or something like that um i think anyone who's been rejected on those grounds can spot bullshit a mile away <laughs> um but then but then yeah on a on a personal level as well as an individual trying to work like you're 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 i think for a lot of people their their job is is in in some aspects their social standing and so if they're so you want to feel pride in the things you do and if that is taken away from you by just little moments of degradation then, then that can have a huge impact on it. And then unemployment as well, which, which is what the chapter discusses, I'm gonna read them, um, uh, can, can have just as monumental an impact as, as actually how you're treated in a workplace. Um, yeah. Please just tell me to shop at any point as well. <laughs> I won't. That is almost the opposite of what we're living right now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a very good point. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is this is about a time when I was uh, unemployed, 
Um, so statistically, only 8% of sufferers of schizophrenia are in employment. I've been unable to distinguish the exact employment rates for schizoaffective disorder, but imagine they're not too dissimilar. Now, jobs hold the ability to give people purpose. They also claim the ability to ruin lives and mental health depending on what we think of them. I've done jobs I loved and adored every shift, working on with headphones, cleaning dishes in the kitchen to serve in loving locals in a quiet pub, to jobs that have driven me closer than I like to the edge. I think the setbacks that a condition and the symptoms of a disorder like this brings tends to make a lot of jobs incredibly difficult. See cocktail bars, for example, are impossible when you not only have to remember the four different cocktails that the party just ordered, but also have to try and recite the recipes of them out of the 80 cocktails on the menu. Now, anyone would find this difficult. Uh, and to an employer, it's almost understandable not to give that job to someone who struggles to remember things anyway and has a terrible attention span. Especially if, the, from the outside perspective, the employee is spending just most of their time vacantly daydreaming. But this doesn't mean we can't do any job. I found my relationship to previous work tended to be based on the environment rather than the tasks themselves. And I think this is a fair summary when I kept one pub job steady for two years in one place and two weeks in another made me walk onto a bridge where the police pulled me off. See, unemployment is a huge issue. There's no denying it at the present moment, especially at the present moment. Even if it is slightly more sparse than recent years, it remains a big issue which needs to be tackled. This is not what this is about, however. This is about the other side of unemployment, the lack, particularly, of employment. Being unemployed, so to speak. I spent around five months in the unforgiven situation that is living on Great Britain's universal credit, where I had to spend 30 hours a week searching for jobs despite leaving my previous job due to a suicide attempt. The UK's unemployment programme is unforgiven. You also get labelled as lazy and scrounging off the system when really most of the time people genuinely have good reasons for being unemployed. I had to go to meetings once every two weeks to ensure I could still have some money to live on. Meetings in a hot, horrendously busy office with people who didn't give two shits about anyone sitting across from them. I had plans to leave for university, which they saw as great, but pressed me to look for jobs I didn't want to do because I clearly wasn't that unwell. Now, that was the horrible part. I felt too unwell to work or look for jobs, but sitting around doing nothing but focus on voices in my head was equally debilitating. So I went to the meetings and I had a panic attack almost every single time, got sanctioned if I missed one due to a lack of a functioning memory, and sat on a laptop staring at websites showing me jobs I was either un unqualified to do or I thought might make me worse. And every month got longer and I got worse. Though I also made progress. I had time to sort everything I needed for the future and try and better myself, which didn't really work. I failed to occupy my time effectively most days and other days inspiration would hit. Inspiration I felt which would never have been found again by being in a job I despised. The cloud over creativity as I thought of it. I was very fortunate to have an out with starting university and a lot of people don't have that to look forward to when they're signing on. Now I realise I've not offered any solutions here, but I did, if I did have a solution, I'd be screaming it from the streets. I guess I'm just saying that we can work. It needs to be more understood of when and where we can work. And maybe sometimes it needs to be okay not to work. But for fuck's sake, we really need a system that treats people like human beings. No one can be reduced to a number or their bank account. And I think Universal Credit should really try to remember that. So is that then, would that be your main message to, to workplaces or to people within the, the benefits system as well? To to treat people like humans, yeah. to have a more humane system, or kind of what, would you, what would be the, the message that you'd give to them to try and change things for the better? So if, if I could sum it up, like, if you... So if I went into, if I went into the job centre with a broken arm, I would not be made to spend 30 hours a week searching for a job. But if I go in after having a terrible episodes with my mental health or a severe bout of depression then based on my appearance I will get told now nah, you're fine to work go for it just start applying places um listen just just listen you know what I mean I think that's all it needs to be and yeah I think we put a lot of pressure in in modern life and understandably so in a capitalist society you need to work to survive in some ways but I think we need to be more accommodating if people can't work because sometimes you can't and that's absolutely fine. It's okay if you need to take a couple of months off, but there needs to be measures in order for people to do that, to protect themselves. Yeah, again, it's all just coming down to the kind of 
established attitudes around whether it's mental health or some of the impacts of what that can be um, and with unemployment being another one that it comes with its own stigma and its own judgment as well and I guess everything that we've chatted about so far is so much about the, the different ways that you've experienced stigma and discrimination and where that's come from and the impact that that's had on you mm-hmm. and then the uh, last reading of this section before we move on to talk a bit about kind of support and, and some of the things that can brighter in the future. It's, it's just, yeah, there's sort of a last reading around challenging stigma and the importance of doing that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this section starts with, um, with, 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 a, with a poem called A Monologue to Assumptions that I wrote for a theatre performance of a few years ago and then added it into this book and then now we perform it with my with my band live so it's kind of weird how, uh-huh. how different things get used for those different things um yeah so in 60 seconds faces are shown in 60 seconds minds are not blown but judgments become created and then those thoughts become animated i've been here almost a minute i got no plans so by white teeth i'll skin it and i'll show you how your lies are not mine and you can be wrong more than half the time 60 seconds. What do you see? Peroxide, fake blonde hair, probably a glazed, vacant stare. Where is he from? A jock you may mock in the street. You wonder if he has tattoos on his feet. Now, judgments will put him through stress, and he is a singer that you never want to see shirtless, abused, broken, volatile, and dull. These words that plaster across his face, your mouth, your eyes, and your lips can join. Your judgments will echo like the Battle of the Boyne. Has he got tattoos to cover his track marks? Must be a junkie. Must be high. Says he's clean. That's a lie. Your judgments never stop to wonder why. Maybe abused by a man when he was a boy. Every action has its equal reaction. Every judgment has a resulting consequence. And every person has a fucking story. Judgments and stigma still seem to reside prominently in modern life, particularly around topics such as mental health, trauma, addiction, and recovery. Everyone loves a good recovery story, but most don't like to dwell on the details involved or even seem to be aware of the struggles of other people unable to thus far fulfill their recovery story. When society is haunted by invisible taboos, it makes silence grow in those unfortunate souls experiencing problems. We live in a world where everything outside the traditional status quo must be admitted to, as if difference is something that has to be explained. We admit to our problems in such a reluctant manner due to the fact that the world has conditioned us to feel shame. We're told to be successful, driven, happy, slim, but not too slim, uh, wealthy, not in debt, to follow every ounce of legality, unless you're of a high enough societal standing to ignore a few laws without that much notice, and above all, to keep things to ourselves. If we can't match these criteria, we're indoctrinated to believe in ourselves as failures, but who can do all these things? Life does not begin on an even playing field. Everyone born into different lifestyles, opportunities, and futures is so damaging to focus our life goals upon the privileged few who are designed to build that dissatisfaction in our lives in an effort for us to consume more products that will improve ourselves. Stigma is still very much rife in our world. We see it every day in a huge variety of forms. There are, things are certainly improving. Depression and anxiety have a much more widespread conversation, along with many other mental illnesses becoming much more well-known about. I, however, feel this is largely lacking around schizophrenia, psychosis, and their counterparts. After after mentioning my diagnosis to people, they tend to assume a Hollywood portrayal of serial killers or that they're in the presence of a psychopath. Both definitions are far from accurate. Schizophrenia, or affective disorder, is one of the most misinterpreted, badly portrayed, and lesser known of mental health conditions. People seem to find the concept scary, which it, of course, is experiences psychosis is naturally terrifying. However, it seems to me that people assume the illness is externally violent, that I may be branded as dangerous or aggressive, but this is not true. People living with schizophrenia are, in most cases, far more likely to be victim of aggressive behavior than the perpetrator, and it's incredibly likely that they would only inflict hurt upon themselves, not someone else. And this has been my experience. I never wished to harm another person due to my illness, nor been instructed to hurt anyone. Psychosis for me is always directly inter- directed internally. Now, there are, of course, exceptions to this, but 
as there are with anything. Labels have become an incredibly dangerous weapon which goes unrealized by most. Words bear weight and can bring pain. Terminology should not be thrown around lightly. We need to be aware of the language we use and more importantly, why we use it. Any word whose intention is born from judgment or degradation should not be used and should not be used as freely as we see every day. Every time someone is called a psycho, mental or crazy without cause or even with cause, it enforces a label onto someone and this leads to engraving stigma on a group. Diagnosis is not just diagnosis and should be viewed as this. There is a reason why a term on a medical form should make any, there is no reason why a term on a medical form should make an individual any less than their peers. When we can remove the stigma from these words, these names, we can remove the shame from them too. Think, adapt, and select the language we use to bring a more positive future. I'm disgusted the term loony bin still exists and still conveys the same imagery as it did when it was first coined at the end of the 18th century. Surely we should have adapted our dialect by now. The evolution of science has brought with it evidence that there are no such thing as lunatics, there is only mental health. And just like illnesses of the body, we should treat this with care and compassion, not ridicule and spite. So it is vital all stigma surrounding mental health is broken. If we are to grow as a supportive and caring society, and why would anyone not wish for that? Every person who tells a story, shares their experience, or nods in agreement to someone else's tale is doing something towards this movement. Shame must be eradicated for the good of so many people. So share everything. Have no fear of judgment. The norm is born from enough people creating a movement that sets in place. So anyone can aid this movement. Make shamelessness the norm. Abolish ignorance. This is a movement that can take place anywhere, with friends in the pub, in a bookshop by yourself, or on social media broadcasts into the world. Spread awareness and we can spread acceptance. Schizophrenia and mental illness as a whole is nothing to be ashamed of, nor is it inherently dangerous. But stigma is. We must never judge for experiences different to our own. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I thought was really in i mean there was so much that was really interesting to, to in that reading but um that term loony bin just how if anyone uses it if they even think about just how much that just writes someone off like yeah. you struggle with your mental health so you have to go and get help for your mental health or, or and and then just so you you are the literally suggestion that you should be thrown in the bin like it's a loony bin like that is you just yeah. disregarded and and it's always paired with, with a phrase like, oh, you're being locked up. Like, uh-huh. that's punishment. Why are you being punished for mental health? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. There's so many and newspapers are getting a bit better at that now, but they used to really often, and we used to challenge a lot, if someone uh, was going to be hospitalised and then saying that they had been locked up and we were constantly having to write to people and be like, they're not, they're not being locked up. They haven't committed a crime. Like, you, this is not the way to describe it. Um, they've been admitted to a hospital the same way other people would be admitted to a hospital. And it does all, it's just, it's small things, isn't it? But do you think that, it, do you think that all these small things just add up to just kind of keeping this picture that's a complete misconception? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I don't think, I think actually there's a lot of, I think it'd be quite easy to assume that there's a lot of evil in, in the world and particularly to, to how we've come to this level of stigma across a whole plethora of subjects. But yeah, I don't necessarily know if that is an evil or if it's just an ignorance and that it would actually be really, really easy if everyone just thought for a minute and was like, yeah, I probably shouldn't use that word. Then the world would instantly just start to improve, I think, because if everyone... T- took active steps it's you know it's like i i don't think there's one massive evil cog turning around that's causing stigma i think it's just loads of tiny ignorant cogs mm-hmm. <laughs> and if they stop spinning then the ignorance machine stops building so yeah, yeah. and it <laughs> comes back as well to what we were chatting about before that either if you challenge someone on their language use or even suggest maybe don't use that word or that term that but there's if people weren't then not and every person is um they kind of have that natural reaction to feel it's a criticism and then react almost defensively towards it which is just the way that yeah, if all of us are all humans are that way but if you could just change that so it's like okay 
I see why you said that. I won't use it again. And just to be like almost kind of the same way that people are appreciative when they get educated, when they go to be educated. If someone's educating you in day-to-day life, that's that's cool too. That can help. Yeah, you know, like, if you know, I kind of, I think we need to relish the fact that every day can be a school day and you learn something every day. Like that's, that's brilliant. So, so if that opportunity presents itself, like that is a gift. If someone is telling you, like a bit of information, like like maybe this this isn't all right, or you should think about this. Don't like like stop being defensive and don't get offended. Be like, oh, thank you for telling me that because now I now I know to think about that. You know, yeah. it's that's that's a really positive thing. It doesn't have to be. Oh well, you're telling me I'm in the wrong. Like no one's telling you you're in the wrong. We're just telling you to do better. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. something that's well within your ability to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not a, a a marginally you know Sisyphean effort. It should be relatively easy to just think for two seconds. Like, yeah, okay, I get that. Yeah. Not, yeah. And another part of the reading as well, which I thought was really interesting when you're talking about people's assumptions, people's reactions, people's behaviours when you when you speak to them, and it is just the huge impact that other people can have that to focus on kind of some of the negative impacts that people can have and how that can make you feel as well but also um the next section the next reading i mean that is all around some of the sort of other impacts and potential positive impacts as well that people can have in support and you touched on it earlier as well when you were speaking about being in hospital and your friends coming to visit particularly the one that made the huge effort to come all the way from dundee Mm -hmm. down to manchester and how much better that can make you feel as well yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Kind of, I particularly included this this section. So this is like a whole chapter on, on on other people in my life, and it's kind of, I I one of the largest experience of mental health that was the most, I I think the 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 one that brought about the most amount of shame, was was that I never once actually considered how my mental health could impact other people until far too late in my life. So. My mental health, while it might have been uh, cri- crippling me, it was also scarring other people. Um, and and I think I, th- I just think that, that that needs to always be considered is is how your actions are helping the people who or are are impacting the people who love you. Um, so yeah, this is just a few pages from the people. Uh, Life is too short to hate another human being. You've made mistakes as well. Today we said goodbye. If it had been three months ago, I would have been worried that you were leaving me behind, but reality and life itself dictates the different paths for the individuals. Gazing at your path taught me invaluable lessons and memories that will be cherished, so I thank you sincerely and hopefully. And I hope that this messy, the messy cobbles in my way did not leave potholes in the footsteps of yours. I can't help but dream I wish our paths had been a little closer or that the road stretched a little further together, but I am eternally grateful that I could glimpse into your life and for the walk that we got to share together. Knowing how to help is impossible. You cannot negate trauma and you cannot take it away, but there may be some things you can do to soothe a sufferer, whether practically or emotionally. When I'm at my worst, I've rejected help, but I also accepted it. Times when I accepted it were when I did not have an option to refuse. If someone cooked a meal for me or if they ran me a bath or just wrapped their arms around me, it has to be tightly though. Small things I would never ask for. However, this common mistake here is that while I could not ask, I also could not accept the offer. If any of the above were offered to me in a question, I would deny it. It had to be there already so it did not feel inconvenient and I couldn't have a say in whether it happened or not. And that was a huge comfort that someone was doing something nice that they knew I would like without me feeling like I was pestering them. However, equally important to others' kindness is not being afraid to reach out. Amanda Palmer writes in her book, The Art of Asking, about this eponymous subject, how important it is to learn to reach out to others in various areas. The need of help regularly goes unnoticed without request, and that makes sense. How could anyone know without telepathic capabilities? Words create words, and requests create actions. However, someone might still reject the offer of help, so keep an eye and an ear out. 
If the words reject but the eyes accept, maybe gently push a little more. But if panic is clear, assure them it's no trouble and you can try something later maybe. This is a, just a short list of things that could maybe be done to assist someone recovering from trauma or mental health conditions. Just the guidelines to make it really help and show, and, uh, show care add a personal touch. So practical help could be cooking a meal or take them for a walk, either somewhere new or a favourite spot. Get a distraction they might like. Maybe a hobby they haven't done for a while, such as a book they never got around to reading, new pencils or a notepad if they enjoy drawing. Run them a bath. Arrange doctor's appointments if it's applicable. Make warm drinks. Do a shopping run. Be open. For emotional support, give a long hug and ask if they prefer to be held softly or tightly. Plan a film night and get their favourite snacks. Hold their hand. Lead conversations. Alternatively, just sit quietly with them. Company helps even without words. Be present with them. Play with their hair or scratch their head. Everyone I know loves this. And if you say you don't like your hair being scratched, you're lying to yourself. <laughs> if the relationship is appropriate, let them be the little spoon. But most of all, be open. Yeah. It's just, it shows, and I think, how simple it can be to support someone and yeah. that asking someone are you okay and showing you care and listening that if someone says no i'm not you then don't have to be an expert in schizoaffective disorder to to support someone you yeah. can just be kind and considerate and do things like that and i think that is a particularly great list of things that people can do to help as well um, and yeah so I, yeah, again it helps it's just like it's education from first hand experience which makes all the difference as well and, yeah. and like, I, think, I think also if you're if you're caring for someone like like a big part of it for me and and accepting those offers was was that they weren't offers they just happened like you know so someone who was looking after me might just come and like wrap their arms around me and sit like that for 10 minutes and we wouldn't talk and and that was perfect because I didn't have an opportunity to say no I'm not okay because I would never have said that at times and it also didn't give me an opportunity to be like I don't I don't want this but but I actually do need it so like yeah I would encourage anyone to just to just do actions and if they're not if the action isn't accepted that's fine and then 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 retract but but I think an action is far more likely to be accepted than a question yeah because it is not easy to say that you're not doing okay. Yeah. So sometimes if yeah, people can recognize it with their friends, their families, their loved ones, if something's not going great, if someone's not feeling themselves. And yeah, sometimes it, if it is going to be just recognizing that and then acting on that that can help and make a difference, then that can be a great thing to do. And also leads very well into, I suppose, the next reading that you have around permission and accepting help as well. It's almost like this was planned. <laughs> <laughs> almost. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so yeah. Um, you always have permission to be helped. Every single human does. You must always permit yourself to be helped in anything at any time. Everyone in life deserves to be helped and will need something from another person at some point whether it be financial troubles, a decline in mental stability, or just a loss of motivation, it's always okay to ask for and accept the aid of another human being. If a friend or family member offers to do the slightest thing for you, let them. They offered for a reason. In my experience with humans, don't, they don't offer things that they aren't willing to do. People will be willing to make sacrifices for each other, so permit them to. Even if it is just to make them feel nice about themselves, which they undoubtedly will, who doesn't enjoy doing a good thing for someone they like, a small action from somebody can make a world of difference in how you view yourself. So it's okay to ask. Even if it is just to let a friend make you a cup of tea or prepare a meal, these small tasks make it easier to open yourself to bigger requests. The little ones can remind you that you are indeed cared for and always have been, whether you've been able to see it or not. And if you open yourself up to these little things, you can build your confidence in admitting that maybe you need some more help. Maybe help getting to the doctors, booking an appointment for a referral, or maybe help finding some sort of outlet. If someone offers a listening ear, they can provide it without a dancing tongue. Take the ear, allow it to listen as your tongue flows. People, when presented with the opportunity, do enjoy to listen as unnoticed as it may go. 
but people will open themselves along with you. It might be therapeutic for them to care for you, and at the very least, everybody enjoys learning to some extent. So let your friends or just one friend learn about you and what goes on internally. Let them express themselves internally. Ask questions and request questions. Both are fantastic opportunities. And help them while they help you. They might not need much support, or maybe they do and they don't show it, but you can only find out by reaching out. Admitting you have a problem to someone could form a whole new relationship on mutual grounds. You can both learn and develop as time passes, that relationship becoming more honest with time. Now, it's easy to believe, especially with mental health conditions or a lack of self-worth, that you deserve the problems occurring within, your, within yourself or in your life. Psychosis, depression, anxiety, insomnia, all afflictions, they will never tell you the truth. They make you believe that your life is one way and you must live it that way. You're forced into the box of yourself with only stigma for company. So reach out. Break the self-professed stigma that they have caused. You would never tell someone else who was suffering that they were supposed to be that way. You should never let yourself believe anything you would not say to someone you love. And if you've been through battles, allow yourself permission to be wounded. Allow yourself permission to be treated and allow yourself permission to reach out and heal. Um, and a lot of that then I suppose that permission to, to get help from to, to let yourself get help from someone else is also then really important to think about that person as well and if you are caring for someone who is struggling yeah. with their mental health again as we've spoken about frequently throughout this the importance of person-centered care person-centered support thinking about yourself it can make a a huge difference as well to then for that person it like if you are caring for someone looking after someone that's going to impact them as well they are also a person they don't then just become like a person like someone doesn't become a diagnosis they are not then care of they are still a person as well and like how important is that do you think to think about those people as well is that something you kind of for yourself you think it's a a kind of important thing the role that people who yeah, are yeah, that's right. I don't know I don't know if I'm if I'm particularly good at it yet um um because I, I really I really was atrocious at it for a really long time and uh I ended up you know like really burning some people around me and and that's, that's still something I feel feel quite guilty about but but now you know it's less about Guilt is one of those feelings where you either wallow in it and it's worse for your mental health or you try and take active steps to to reform yourself as a person. And I feel like a large part of writing this book was actually to do that because now um, I, I feel like for me, I've, I no longer have to repress certain parts about myself. And if I act a certain way, then I act a certain way. But now people have the option to go and find out why. So, you know, if, 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 if there's people I haven't appreciated before, then, then, then I would hope that there's some sort of explanation for them more than anything. Definitely. Um, yeah, and it is, it, it's hard in every sense, I guess, then to also balance what you're struggling with to try and to get well, to try to get onto some sort of path of recovery. And then also really being aware of, of the impact it has on the people around you simultaneously. It's a lot for anyone to really to take on, um, but also really great in what you've done there to acknowledge what kind of your feelings and your appreciations and your kind of awareness of what that's been like as well, or what that could have been like for other people. Um, and the next reading from the book is... is one of my favourite title sections in winning um, with your mental health and kind of that where we spoke there about our recovery journey. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what does that? We'll hear it in the, in the reading. But what does that mean to you? Uh, it's sort of what we what we were discussing earlier in terms of um, uh, the the battle of mental health and 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 that is a fight and and you know people. I know. I, f I feel. I feel like that. That phrase, in particularly, 
it is one of those parts of our vocabulary that sort of lost its meaning because we just say oh, the, the, the battle of mental health. And I, I think we, we, we often forget that that is an actual fight that you have to take and you, your mental health is never going to improve unless you're taking active steps to improve it. As difficult as that is, and it's so difficult to start doing that, but you, you, know, you, you are the only person in control of, of your head, um, whether you believe it or not. And so, it's, yeah, it's, it's just about that and trying to take that effort. Every sinner has a future, every hero has a past, every devil had a halo and every saint had a confession. Every death does had, have an impact, but not every life is lived. Yours can be. So bad days will always happen. Hold them with no regard when they are over because they will come again. That is just life. That's not even mental health. It's just life. So think of them as the days when you appreciate the good days that much more. A reminder of how far you've come. An emotional detox for gratitude. It's good to cry. It's a reminder of humanity. This goes further than bad days, however. Just like them, we cannot begrudge mental illnesses. It will spite us in return and devour us more over than before. Blaming yourself is toxic, as is blaming the lottery for bad luck. Dwelling on diagnosis or bringing anger to your introspection will only ever burn you more. The old cliche goes that we can never move forward without first accepting the problem, but accepting must be done with some level of peace. Come to terms with mental health without loathing or bitterness, but open yourself to what life has done. There is nothing you can do to remove it from your life except carry on your life. It's a bit like putting up with a family member you don't like when they come to stay. You have to be civil and at times you'll get in each other's way and it will be awkward and it will also probably be horrible at some point. But there's time you get to spend apart that you will enjoy so much more due to the freedom you have from the situation. The bad days have to be tolerated, but the good days also have to be witnessed. Again, cliched, but you can never progress while you're in denial. And you may never heal from mental illness. That's the nature of it. But you can certainly grow in spite of it. Winning is when you're happy despite the bad days. And you can win. You will win. Growing in spite of it is such a nice way of putting it because it is totally acknowledging that it could always be there. It could always impact you. But that doesn't mean that you can't, I kind of, I suppose for yourself, be able to work ways through that and, and to help that. And I know we, I, we mentioned it earlier with the poetry and things, but mm-hmm. like music has obviously been a huge outlet for you. Yeah. Um, and creativity has been a really good way for you to, to connect with people. And I suppose if you found that very much to be part of helping you to win, to use your type of terminology. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you know, I think, I think for sure it, it has. You know, there was, there was, there was definitely a turning point in my mental health, particularly when I started performing with the, the project I'm doing now, which is my band Incarnate. Um, uh, and, and I work with a fantastic group of guys, and they, they're so accepting and understanding of my mental health, and they, they, they let me write about whatever I want, so I just write about my problems, pretty much. Um, but, it, yeah, it's so therapeutic. I've, I honestly feel I am never more honest or more myself than when I'm performing with them because, it, I don't know, physically I just kind of become less self-conscious and, and I, I don't think about what's going on in my head. I, I only focus on looking at the other people in that room and trying to connect with them as much as possible. And it's so gratifying when, when people do connect with that, because I, if I'm, if I'm showing literally my, my, what I view as my darkest parts and, and the things I don't really want to show to anyone. And then people appreciate that and, and vocalize that appreciation or, or even not vocalize it. Maybe they just dance, you know, that's, that's sick. That's so cool. Cool. That people, people are feeling connected enough to, 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 to something I'm just trying to express. And I think that's because we, the, the things I'm expressing are far more universal experiences than we talk about or, or, or than, than we realize. Um, yeah, and it very much 
reinforces that idea that it is an experience. It's not something that's there to be ashamed of. It's not something that's like shouldn't be this hidden taboo, not spoken about. If you can speak about something that has been incredibly difficult, yeah, exactly. but then people can also, in the way that you portray that, people can dance to it as well. Yeah, yeah, that shows yeah. just how like having society set up or having discrimination around mental health, if it means that people have to hide so much of themselves, that could really limit not just them, but also the kind of joy and experience that other people could have from it yeah, as well. Exactly, yeah. And yeah, kind of my, my, my favourite thing about it is is I've been I've been told that I can I can sometimes come across as a bit scary <laughs> on stage because I you know that, that kind of persona or, or part of me comes out, but that then there's nothing better than having a pint with someone at the bar afterwards and speaking as two normal human beings and it's like they they see that I am a complete human being. They've seen this part of me and there's no judgment and that's what I'm aiming for. Good, and then that is what that is what that is how it should be and what it should be. So, I've got um, a couple more readings. One of them is on that. Then, um, in just finding an outlet in music. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I would. Yeah, I think this this one is obviously incredibly um, personal to my own path, but but I, I truly believe anyone can find yeah. this this level of of contentment in in something. Um, so without attempting but failing to hide an obvious plug for my band Incarnate, it's been the greatest therapy I have ever undertaken. Through, ly through lyrics and performance, I've found myself able to cleanse myself of fury and guilt every few weeks at our gigs. It is a place, not a band for me, a place in which I can expose, reveal and express my darkest thoughts, trauma and daily tribulations and force people to listen. The music may, may make people uncomfortable, as with the performance, and so it should. If a person can walk away from hearing a set of songs about sexual abuse, psychosis, frigoli delusion, suicide and self-immolation with a smile on their face and having loved every hook, then we've failed. I want to connect, to entertain a spectrum of emotions, not play cool tunes to cool people, fuck cool people. I want to burn their hearts, to impact the souls of those that witness, to spun and to heal others who may identify in those lyrics of intoxication. It is a place for honesty without regret, a place of sanctuary through devils, a place for the demons to thrive and it be called art. My mental clarity has endeavoured to progress through this pr project and each performance becomes a ritual of devotion, that is, devotion to self-betterment to rid myself of its worst poisons, to use pain for betterment, to develop myself. Suffering is cultivated and explodes into the eyes and ears of our witnesses. Our souls go into the hands of friends and other viewers. It is a place of trust that I have known only in fleeting moments, with full control in how deep my explanations may be fathomed. Yeah, so I think that's about being... Yeah, having it's 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 one of the only areas where I not only do I feel like I have complete control over the honesty that that I give out, but it's one of the few places where I want to give out all of it as well. And how much does that help you? Hugely, <laughs> hugely. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think for a start, we play quite aggressive music, so so that automatically gets out a lot of energy <laughs> um as a as a natural thing but yeah just being not not just having the ability to be honest but being able to control how far i want to go with it on a nightly basis is so is so gratifying and uh, i would encourage anyone to try and find a similar thing for for themselves that can do that because there's there's nothing that will make you feel more empowered than your own truth. Yeah. And if they wanted to find your thing, like how can people find the band here? <laughs> like where is it? where are you guys? Uh, so we we uh, we're currently uh, working towards a, an announcement in the next few weeks, hopefully. But you can find us on all that social media shite. Um, we're on all streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Music, and stuff. Um, we're called Incarnate with a full stop. It's not a name; it's a statement. Um, and yeah, yeah. If you if you do end up 
listening to us, let us know what you think. So yeah. nice to get feedback. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you get, I know you said in the reading that it wasn't a shameless plug, but you got to get the plugs in, you know. You've been really is, sharing everything <laughs> for an hour or so, so I think you, you definitely you rode it. <laughs> um, so we're just we're kind of coming towards the end now. We've got one more reading, which is also the close of the book as well. Um, yeah. Around the story not being over uh, and sort of looking to the future as well. So uh, I guess over to you for, for the closing. Yeah, I, th- I think I think particularly what you say about the story, like the end the end of the book, but it not being over is. The perfect way to put it because just because you're yeah yeah no no story actually ends you know um particularly with mental health this is the final chapter i want to start with that because my ability to concentrate might run out very soon and my ability to keep working on this is taking its toll on me i'm in a better place now than i was and these words remind me of the places i have been so I'll say farewell now in case I shut the laptop and never open it again. My circumstances have improved dramatically since I started writing this, something which I count as a blessing every day. However, that is not to say my mind doesn't still hurt and haunt me, or my skull feels like it's under corrosion from my condition every day. The days are better, and maybe I am too, but it's hard to tell sometimes. I've done my best to follow my own advice while writing this, and I can definitely say it's helped me put some stabilizers on my life. For almost a year now, my bad days have not hospitalised me, which might not sound like much, but it's actually a colossal milestone for myself. I couldn't have done it without the people around me and who I've been around for the past year, however big or small a role they've played in my life. I'm also proud of myself, but not giving up on the future when I wanted to. I'm grateful to whatever luck there is in the world that stopped me when I had. For the first time in years, I am excited for the future. I have no clue what will come, how long I'll live, and still if I'm even alive. If this will ever be read by anyone that isn't me, I hope so. It hurt a lot, that's okay. I guess that's what life is and what recovery is. You get to a point where all the pain is okay. Still breathing, heart still beating, still alive. I'm sure of it. And maybe that's all healing is. And I'm not saying I am healed, fucking hell no. No, I'm only a few steps into the road of recovery. But it's getting nicer. The steps feel lighter and less strenuous, and there are still frequent roadblocks, but there always will be. It's a chronic illness. That's okay. No life is perfect. And that is okay. So thank you. Thank you for reading this and listening to this. I hope you learned and felt and experienced something. I hope it's a bit clearer that we're not that different despite our realities. If not, sorry, that's my bad, not yours. Thank you for spending some time with me in this way. I appreciate the gesture so much. It takes so much open-mindedness and heart to look into someone else's mind and heart. I hope you're okay. I hope that you're doing well or that you can see the wellness coming. It is. I hope you're in love with parts of life, with yourself, with the future. Dark times, light shines, anguish cries, followed by relief. Perilous road walked for miles, miles, miles. Hope always befalls the most broken smiles. Okay, that's me. Thank you. I wish you all the best. You are blessed. You're still here. Thank you. I am almost. We've stopped wishing for our time to be lived in heaven. For now, earth will have to suffice. There is no use concerning thoughts of hell or hereafter when we are as blind to the unknown as those three wee daft and joyous mice. There is a gift that was given to be lived, whether we wanted it or not. We are here now. In the middle of the sandstorm, we are caught. But this tempest need not swallow us whole. We can fashion goggles and cloaks to shield us from its might. We can fight, screaming and loving, and reject the blackest of the nights. Oh, how the sky may swallow all. The dark can hide stars from our sight. But we have fashioned our armour, and we walk forward unto the light. These silent voices shriek at the prospect of contentment. They strive to thrive on our hopelessness. They fill us with resentment. They speak of a race where all our fellow brothers and sisters we must beat them, be ready to feed on them, kill and maim those we cherish and love, disintegrate their souls when push comes to shove the voices back and burn them instead. And though our skulls are filled with hate, the battle is only in our heads. A comfort this is not, but perspective it does have to offer. 
if there are countries outside our eyes and the wars of minds are so much smaller. So regret not the time they stole and resent not the words they preach. Every scar beholds a lesson, proof that vast knowledge is within your reach. And the road is long and winding and narrow, filled with demons a distrust who will mock and surely boast. But I am positive I have found the correct path in spite of them. I am almost. Okay, that is the end of the chat with Spencer. Thank you so, so much to Spencer for doing that for us. But that is it for now. As we said before, check out our website, seemescotland.org, for the information on the other summer sessions that are coming up. And all I'm going to say now then is goodbye to Maeve and to Lynn and to Dee. Bye, bye, bye. 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 And goodbye to all of you listening. Hurrah!